We're doing this series called uh, Elevate, and it's the first four weeks of this new year, and it's how we can increase or improve our response to what God is doing in our lives. We talked last week about elevating our conversation, and I want to be real practical in this series, and I want to know, for those of you who who were here last week or maybe heard that, did, did you this week have some opportunities to realize the way your tongue drives your life? Anybody have that opportunity this week? Anybody think about it? Just raise your hand if a few of you did. Yeah. Man, I don't know. Like this week I had opportunities. And I will say this to you. I failed sometimes and I succeeded sometimes. But all week I was really praying about that. What should I be saying? And it was actually when I became thoughtless that I said things that I was like, oh, I shouldn't have said that or I I should have said this. And I wasn't being attentive to God and what he was doing in that moment. Um, if you didn't get a chance to hear that, I would encourage you, it is on the website. You can check it out or on our podcast on iTunes. You can check that out if you want to listen uh, to what we're talking about. But it was a really interesting week to think about how our tongue drives our life and how we should elevate our conversations. So this week we're going to continue in this series, and we're going to talk about this idea of elevating our expectations. So last week was elevate conversation. This week is elevate expectations. And I'm not sure if you've ever, ever had an experience of being around someone or working with someone, uh, or serving with someone who caused you to do a better job than you thought was possible. Has anyone had that experience? Maybe it was a company or a boss. I remember I had a boss that was great. He was like, I didn't think bosses could be great until I had this boss. And the reason he was great is everyone that worked for him was excellent, right? And I had this tendency to think, well, it's because we're all excellent. But it wasn't true. It was that we were, we were good and he compelled us or he encouraged us to be great. He encouraged us to do more than we thought we could do. And I really have I've thanked God for him, but I've thought about him a lot. And like, what was it that he, he was able to do that for us? Or maybe it's a company. Some of you work for companies and all companies say they're great. But, but very few companies actually achieve being a great company right? There are environments they create where employees can succeed. They give you the tools, the stuff that you need to do the right things. Um, I've had some conversations with some of you about how you've had those experiences of having a great employer or a great coworker. Maybe it's a missions work that you've done and someone's compelled you to go into the mission field and you served in a way you never thought was possible because someone invited you to take a risk and go serve somewhere where you're completely uncomfortable like we've been talking about this morning. Well, that's what we're going to talk about um, today. I'm going to ask, like I said, that we pray before we get into the Word today, that God would inspire us for what He wants us to have. Please pray with me. Father, this morning, I thank you so much for all, all the worship already, everything we've experienced that you've planned for us today. We give you praise and glory for that. We pray that now as we t- really focus in on your word and, and uh, some, uh, some truth that you have to impart to us, that we'd have eyes to see and ears to hear what you would have us to know, and that when we would leave here, uh, you would implant it in us, that it would change our lives and the lives of others in your name. Uh, We don't just want to come here and check the box, went to church, did that thing, but we want to listen for your voice today. And we know that you speak all the time, and we know that we can listen anytime, but we're going to ask that right now we would really just be attentive to you in this this next uh, few minutes that we have together. Would you be glorified through the things that I say, the the thoughts that are coming from my mind, but but mostly through your Holy Spirit's proclamation from your word? Would you be glorified? Would you you come dwell with us, and would you be glorified in the work that you do here? And, and we thank you for the opportunity to learn, to grow, and to know more about you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to grab a Bible if you didn't bring one. And I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to cover a pretty big chunk of Scripture today, but um, we're just going to read through this and talk 
kind of about the concept of what Jesus is doing here. It's Matthew chapter 5, 17 through 48. If you have a Bible, you can look it up. If you have one of ours, it's on page 677. And I'm going to start reading while you're flipping there, so don't feel like you're behind just because I'm going to go ahead and, and begin reading. 17, Jesus speaking here, by the way. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, unless, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter or the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Verse 21. You've heard it said to the people long ago, do not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift at the altar and first go be reconciled to, to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. Do it while you're on the way with him or he may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I say to you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to go into hell. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, causes her to become an adulteress, and anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you've heard it said that the people long ago do not, uh, to the people long ago, do not break an oath, but keep oaths that you've made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it's God's throne, or by earth, for it's God's footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, because you cannot even make one hair white or black. Simply let your yes be yes, and your no, no. Anything beyond that comes from the evil one. And you have heard it said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, walk with him too. Give to the one who asks and do not turn away from anyone who wants to borrow from you. You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward do you get? Are not even tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only the brothers that are doing, that are, um, if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than any other? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, that's a lot of gospel right there. That's a lot of stuff that we could spend. We could go all kinds of directions with that, and I understand that. 
But I want to talk through a few things that I, that this morning of what I see Jesus doing in that text. I don't know if you think sometimes like, you know, Christianity is this list of rules, like do's and don'ts, right? And you can read that and you can say, well, you know, he's had the do's and don'ts lists in there for the, for the people who are following him. But I would argue, and I think we've heard it over and over again, where Jesus took what everyone thought was the standard and he raised the bar. Did you hear that in there? And it goes something like this. You've heard it said, but I say. Right? You've heard it said, but I say. And, I, and, and in our real life, when we're following Jesus, I want us to be thinking about that reality. What are the things that we say in our lives are good enough? That's a good enough standard. You know, I don't know what it is for you. How much, how much time you spend reading scripture, for example. This is good enough, right? And kind of like last week, but what does Jesus say, right? Or you say, how much time I talk to God. How, I mean, if you think, and I'm just wanting to kind of break this out a little bit, but if you think about scripture, how many times does Jesus take what we expect to be enough, and he says, but what about all this other opportunity? What about all the other ways that you can serve or love. I was thinking just now about the guy who goes and says, do I have to forgive my brother seven times? And what's Jesus say? Seven times 70, right? No, not more than seven times. And he means that. He's always saying, how can you have more? How can you expect more of yourself in this life in Christ, Right? A few things that I want to uh, point out from this particular passage um, is that Jesus came, and we know the story of Jesus, that he came to die to pay for our sins, and we're going to get to that. And so I'm not talking about some human exceptionalism, like some kind of man-made manifestation of glory. I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about the reality of what Jesus said when he said, I didn't come to abolish the law. He didn't come to say the rules don't matter anymore. He came to do all the rules plus more. That's what he said. I came to fulfill the law, right? So Jesus' arrival, the Messiah's coming, isn't some, the Old Testament thing is over and this new thing has started, but we're going to get there in a minute too. He says, the Old Testament thing applies and you are failing to fulfill it. I don't know if you caught in there what he said. You know, and, I, and we've talked about this before. Last week, I think I even said that everything that Jesus did was motivated by love. I either said it here or my family group. I'm not sure which. But when he would rebuke Pharisees, he did it in love. We talked about last week. Instead, speaking the truth in love. Everything Jesus did, when he flipped the tables over in the temple and said, my father's house should be a house of prayer, that was done in love. And you would say, well, it didn't look like love, but Jesus was trying to rebuke and correct the church the people of God, his chosen people, Israel, right? Worship. We should be attentive to that, the rebuke of God in our lives. It's done in love, everything he did. And so when you hear, this is a great example, he says, you, you could easily say, well, I follow Jesus and those you know, Pharisees and those teachers of law and those people who want the Ten Commandments still matter. I got Jesus. And Jesus is like, no, you got to be more righteous than that. You know what I mean? You got to do better than them to, to enter the kingdom of heaven, right? He didn't quite say that. What did he say? He said, if you teach people to break the command, the commandments that's been laid out, the law, 
uh, you will be least in the kingdom of heaven. See, so you don't, you know, and that's kind of interesting, isn't it? He'll be the least. Uh, but if you teach people to keep it, you'll be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. There's this reality. And I'm going to walk this out this morning, I hope, with you. But there's this reality that we have a tendency to go one or two extremes as believers in Jesus. We have a tendency to say, I believe in Jesus. Okay, I'll tell you, there's a third way. I mean, there's all kind of ways we do this. But first of all, some of you believe you have to be good enough to be a Christian. And you think if you're not good enough, you can't be a Christian. And that's not what the gospel says. The gospel says that God chooses you in Christ and you are born again and you are a Christian, right? That's the truth of it. So some of you think there's a line you have to hit before you can even be a Christian. And some people, and I talk to them all the time, I was out with people last night, um, pretty late, and most of those people aren't in church this morning. And I know for some of them, they would think, if I'm going to go to church, I need to spend about a month or a week or a year or six months preparing for it. I've had people who I love dearly said, I would come to your church, but it would fall down if I walked in. And I don't think they're joking. They, they really are afraid, you know. There's been so much sin, and there's so much brokenness, and they're like, if I came in, God will not accept me as I am. But that's not the gospel. The gospel says that God saves you in spite of yourself, Right? So there's one thing that you're, you're, you're good enough. But then there's a couple of things that Christians who do believe the gospel that Jesus saves us do. They either say, now I'm a believer, I must be perfect, right? And so we put on airs, we, we fake it. But then there's also a group of people who say, I'm a believer, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> you know what I mean? So they're like, it, it, you know, you can do what you want because Jesus died for my sins and so I'm forgiven, so I can do whatever. And they have no standards at all. This morning, what I'm going to try to do from Scripture is talk about, because I don't think that's supported. I don't think Jesus was ever like, that's awesome, you know, be lazy, do nothing, you know, like whatever it is, you know, um, and, and it'll all be okay because I die, I'm going to die for your sins and you can go on. He, no, he says there's, there's a higher calling. There's a higher response. I was um, intrigued with this idea of... Um, um, elevating our expectations and a couple of things and just thinking this sometimes word pictures help me a little bit um i don't know if any of you know what uh what an elevator is on an airplane does anyone want an elevator has anyone ever been in an airplane with an elevator on it anyone have been in an airplane with an elevator on it a few of you have yeah is it really big air have any of you been on an airplane before anyone You've all been on an airplane with an elevator in it, <laughs> then. Um, an elevator is the thing that changes the, the direction, right? Um, there's a really, actually, a proper definition. I, I think I actually looked it up. Um, but it's the flight control surface that changes the pitch, balance, listen to this, angle of attack, ac attack and lift of the wing, Right? So when we're talking about these things that, that can change us, and I'm talking about expectations here, th they can change the pitch of your life. In other words, it causes the plane to, to change like that directionally, you see, so it can lift off or so it can land or so it can avoid crashing, <laughs> you know. Um, this is a very important thing. It's just the flap things on the back of the plane. It makes it go up and down, right? Uh, changes the direction. I say it to you because some of this stuff, you go... Man, my life is in the dumps. And some of you have said to me, I believe in Jesus, but things are still a mess for me. But I wonder, are you, where your, where's your elevation at? You know, where are your flaps set to? Are you, are you doing some of the things that Jesus says here? Because he raises the bar. Follow me. This is what it looks like. So Jesus came to do more, do more than the law. Not to say, you know, that's all over with, right? Um, and then, and I'm gonna, we're not going to spend time in each one of these, 
But he goes through this list, and you could, you could talk on any topic. And I know some of you um, read this and go, oh, I have no problem with that. But then there's other ones you go, wow, I have a problem with that. And it can really hit close to home, right, this particular passage of Scripture. But I want to think categorically about what he does here. He runs through the list of what a righteous person would say was good, bad, or ugly in their lives. And then he amps up every kind of setting on every one of them. The first is this idea of human sin or disagreement. Manifesting in murder, <laughs> you know. Um, that, that, that when we have a conflict, what do you do, right? Um, and he, he elevates, he increases um, our response. He, he takes this issue of sexual morality. And I want to be clear, not sexual immorality, sexual morality, right? How you should rightly uh, engage with each other in marriage and outside of marriage. And, and he says, you've heard this said, but I say there's this whole other thing that's happening that's bigger, bigger than what you even understand. He, he talked about the marital covenant, right? Uh, he talked about giving our word, I mean, that's a little teaching that can change your life. If you really read what Scripture says there and live that out, don't swear an oath or by heaven or by earth. Let your yes be yes and your no be no because everything else comes from the evil one. Like, that will change your life. That will change your life. Or, or um, getting retribution with someone who's wronged us, right? Or, and lastly, and, and, you know, who and how we love people. He throws it, like the whole thing out the window. We were talking this morning in our, in our story class about how awesome it is to love God and, and um, love others. And some people say, love God and love your neighbor. But the funny thing about that passage is they ask Jesus, well, who's my neighbor? And it's like everyone, you know? And then here he actually says, your enemies. So what? You love your neighbor. Great. You live in a neighborhood with people like you. But what about people who hate you? Do you love them? He, he, he takes us to the next level. Jesus is constantly raising the bar and I don't want you to think of this in a legalistic way, but he's constantly raising the bar and what it looks like to follow God, to worship God, and to believe God in faith. You see? He's like, you've got all these safe rules, and if you hit the markers of the rules, you're okay. And he's like, no, you must be completely dependent on God. You must be completely sold out uh, to God. Um, I, I have opportunity when I'm preparing... Um, these, I read so much scripture, and I'm not saying that to brag. I'm saying there's so much in there. It just blows me away. Blows me away. One of the things that blew me away this week was there was a little passage of scripture where Jesus says um, about counting the cost of being a disciple. He says, if you will not leave everything for me, you're not worthy of me. That's in your Bible. That's, that's amazing to read that, that those Jesus' words are, if you won't leave everything, you're not worthy. I, that caught me. I mean, that just stopped me in my tracks. So that's kind of the situation that we're in. So I want to talk to them practically. We've been doing this about um, how we can elevate our expectations in our lives, right? We see this. Um, and I, I'm going to encourage you to believe with me that, first of all, the requirement is that we have an active, ongoing relationship with God right? That it's not a religion. It's not a system of belief. It's not a right theology, but it's a relationship where you're talking and listening and obeying and in community that can come and hold some accountability with you on how you're following God and a standard, which, you, you know, we get from scripture of, of what we're called to do and who we're called to be, that we would, we would follow God together, okay? So just a few things here that I want to talk with you about then. 
The first is expectations honor God, right? I was thinking about the, the, the epistle of James, and it says, you don't have because you won't ask, right? You ask, but you don't believe. And, and then you don't get it sometimes because you have the wrong motives. So there's all these things that we, that we have to understand that these, this isn't about, um, I'm going to be better so that I can be better off. It's about raising the standards for one another. And kind of like we're talking about earlier with my experience with some of the, my employers who have been better or worse at that, right? Do we expect good things of each other? Do we expect of our children, of our spouses, of our parents, of ourselves? Do we expect good things as followers of Jesus? Do we uh, ask for the things we need? Expectations honor God. You know, my example of Octavio is a good example of a, of a brother who is just, and I, here I'm feeling like he's asking me, he's, he's just asking me to pray with him that God would make a way. He's believing. He's asking in faith, right? Um, there's this idea that when you, to do that, you know, we're testing God. No, we're depending on God. Make a way in my life. Sometimes we're afraid to let our biggest dreams, I was so appreciating hearing how long God's been working in the hearts of those who are here with us this morning, right? To do a work. God's been burning something in your heart and you long for it. But I know some of you are afraid to even ask for it or talk about it because you'll be disappointed. But that's not honoring God. Expectations honor God. I think that part of this uh, journey of being a Christian is being in a community of faith that is willing to look at each other and be honest with each other in a difficult way sometimes, right? I really do. And I don't mean that. And I can tell you that the minute this comes up in real life, the minute it comes up, people are like, no, no, no. I don't want that kind of, nobody needs to know. We have this idea. I'm going to get off on this tangent too much. We have this idea that my faith is private matter. My faith is between me and Jesus and nobody else. Man, I don't know. I don't see that much in Scripture. He's like, I'm going to surround you with people who are, going to, who are going to call you to a better life. I'm going to put you in places that you're not comfortable so you can witness what's happening, brokenness in people's lives, and then I'm going to send you to minister to the brokenness in that place that you said, I will never go there. I will never hang out with those kind of people. I'm going to send you in there to witness it and then to bring my light and my salt and my righteousness in. I'm going to do something in you if you will listen and obey me that will change your life. He surrounds us with a community of faith, and we ought to hold ourselves and one another to a higher standards as followers of Jesus. Expectations like that honor God. So I don't want to do that thing where we throw it out the window and say, hey, it doesn't matter because we, you know, Jesus forgave our sins, so it doesn't matter. Teenagers, do what you want. Doesn't matter. Jesus died for your sins. No, 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 no. I, I don't think that that's true. I mean, I think that Jesus died for your sins, but I don't think that's the manifestation of that in our lives, right? These truths... They honor God, okay? We all need some accountability to be better. So that's, that's the first thing. The second reality is this, and this is, we're going to get into uh, Hebrews, which we can turn there. If you want to turn to Hebrews 1, you can turn there. But it's this reality that Jesus is the perfection, okay? And I'm going to leave it there in the kind of the middle of the road for now. So we're going to turn to Hebrews chapter 1. We're just going to look at a few passages from Hebrews, and we'll be finished with this time today. So Jesus himself came into the world, as we know, and 
was the perfect model of this, right? He, he's, I almost put like Jesus is perfection. Jesus is our perfection, but we don't own Jesus. Like Jesus is the perfection. Like he is the real deal. He's the whole, whole thing. And we see here the uh, author of Hebrews writes in the very opening verse, verses of this passage. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed, listen to the words here, heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. That's very consistent with the gospel of John's opening, right? Verse 3, the son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word, right? So Jesus is this perfect model. He is God in the flesh, and, and he's this perfect image, representation of God. And he sustains things by his word. After he had provided purification for sins, that's his death on the cross, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty of heaven. And so he became as much superior to the angels as the name he had inherited is superior to their name as well. So the first is that these high expectations honor God. The second is that Jesus is the perfection. So some ways this works out in our lives, and another way I would say this, by the way, is that Jesus is the model, right? And so the way this works out in our lives is like some of the things you've seen before, the, the bracelet, what would Jesus do? right? And I know some of you are like, that's so cliche, man, but it's something we're thinking about. Last week, we talked about the same thing, you know, that we wouldn't always grow up into him who is our head, that is Christ. I mean, we are called to this higher standard of living. Or if you're not comfortable with what would Jesus do, because you're presuming to know, what did Jesus do? I mean, how about doing a real study of Jesus's actual life and how he actually responded? Looking at scripture ourselves, God, what did you do when you were confronted with someone who was poor or homeless? What did you do when you were confronted with someone who was broken in sin? How, how, how did you respond in that moment? We ought to know how Jesus looked because how Jesus looked is the perfect model. And it's what we ought to aspire to do. So we, we have Jesus here as the perfect representation of, of God the Father. He's the perfect manifestation in this life. And we have, and by the way, the reason that the, the Bible is so important is it gives us all the, the images of that, right? Read the Gospels. I mean, it's just the story of Jesus' life, the actual way he dealt with people, okay? Um, and so that's the second thing. So I want us to kind of realize that we should have high expectations. I want us to understand that Jesus is the model and there's no excuse. As a matter of fact, at the very end of the, the, the passage in Matthew, uh, Jesus said this, which was amazing as well. I keep wanting to say crazy, but it's not crazy. It's, it's, it's accurate, but it's what he said. He said, be perfect as your heavenly father's perfect. That's what Jesus said. That's what you got to do. Be perfect like your heavenly father's perfect. That was his standard, his model for what he was going to do in our lives. So I hope that you understand what I'm saying so far, that we're here. Now, the next thing that I want to do is talk about this. We're not going to hit the mark. Anybody got it perfect yet? I mean, anybody, even close, perfect. I told you last week, tried. Some things were good, some things were terrible, you know, in that one little part of my life, right? Did we, did we hit the mark? Did we miss the mark? Of course we're going to miss the mark. When we raise children in the church, one of the dangers of raising children in the church is we expect perfection from them, and we preach perfection to them. We show that Jesus is perfect with them, but we, we, we leave them there stuck in this perfectionistic world. 
And the reality is the world is broken and flawed and full of sin. And so the last thing I would say that we need to do to elevate our expectations is to remember the gospel. This is not to undo everything we've just talked about. We ought to have high standards. We ought to try. We ought to make effort. You ought to hold me accountable. I ought to hold you accountable. That's how it ought to work. But at the end of the day, when we fail, I would say if we fail, but when we fail, and we will, we must remember the gospel of Jesus Christ. We must remember that it is not our righteousness at all, but his that we proclaim. Um, And we must do this with one another and ourselves, okay? And without spending a lot of time on this, I think we can fall down on both sides of that as well. There are some people who are very good at saying, hey, I'm just a sinner and I'm messed up. But the minute anyone else messes up, they're like on it. You know, you screwed up. You should have done that. You know what I mean? They have no grace for anyone else, but they want all the grace in the world for themselves, right? And then we have folks who are following Jesus who have all the grace in the world for everyone else. They say, oh, I understand, but it's, the world's full of sin and that's okay. But in our minds, we serve a slave master who says, you have screwed up. You're not good enough. You aren't doing this right. And we never believe the gospel for ourselves. That Jesus is taking all of that away. I told you earlier that having expectations are, is glorifying to God, and that's because when we do that, God does things in our life that only he can do, that only he can do when we believe the gospel for ourselves. I'm going to close with this from Hebrews, this idea of who Jesus is. The author says, this is in chapter 7, verse 11. If you want to read, you can. Um, just a few ch- chapters back. The author says this, and this entire, if I could encourage you to read some Hebrews, man, read Hebrews. Hebrews, and it's, it's thick, but read it, because there's so much in here, and it's a great uh, thing to really spend time in and, and let it settle into your soul of Jesus' role in our lives. But in verse 11, it says, If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of it the law was given to the people, why was there a need for another priest to come in the order of Melchizedek? not the order of Aaron. He's saying, why should Jesus even come if the, you could be righteous through the law? For when there is a change to the priesthood, there's also a change in the law of he, who, he of whom these things are said belong to a different tribe, and no one from that tribe had ever served at the altar, because it's clear that our Lord descended from Judah, and in regard to that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. In other words, Jesus wasn't, a priest wasn't supposed to come from that line at all. And what we have said is even more clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears, the one who's become the priest, not on the basis of a regulation based on his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. And what he's saying is because Jesus didn't die forever, he can be trusted with our life and our righteousness. Picking up now. For it's declared you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless, because the law had made nothing perfect, and a better hope is now introduced by which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. Others became priests without any oath, but he became a priest with an oath that God said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. And covenant's a fancy word for promise. Jesus is our guarantee. 
Now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing office. But because Jesus lives forever, he is a permanent priesthood for us. And therefore, he's able to save us, look at the word, completely. And the word completely means completely, perfectly, and eternally. It means he is able to save us in his name. Those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. And may I just say, he always lives to intercede for us, for us who are believing in Jesus. Such a high priest meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sin and then for the sins of the people. He has sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. Man, this is the gospel that we must remember. Perfection was offered for us. For the law appoints as high priest men who are weak, but the oath which came after the law appointed the Son who has been made perfect forever. And there's so much more in Hebrews to understand, but the reality is that we must remember the gospel when we fail. Does that make sense? So we're trying to find this way then. Now, this week, how do you do that in your life? What are those moments where you should be better than that? And then what does your response look like? And I'm going to kind of walk out those things. The first thing is we ought to pay attention. And God says, you know, when we hear that, it should not be this way. We should listen to what God is telling us as his followers. Listen to God. It honors him to have expectations. But then the second thing is to remember Jesus as the perfect model. And that means that we don't do this alone. Jesus, this is not how it should be. Would you help me do this better? Would you show me? And then the third is to apply the gospel in that moment. And don't let that linger. I think that not applying the gospel there keeps us from moving forward where we should move forward with Jesus. Because we just see the impracticality. We, well, we can't, we're not good enough yet. We can't do it. We're not trained enough. We're not, no, 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 no. You have the God of all creation who's manifest himself for you, died for your sins, so that you will be made perfect in him. Apply the gospel and move forward with Jesus. And I think that's what we're called to do as his followers. Um, so as I close, where are the areas in your life where you have too low of expectations? I mean, you've got the bar. I've got some areas in my life, the bar is so low, I couldn't even trip over it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's not even, the, it's below sub-level, you know? And I know it, man. I should be laughing because God's like, that's a pretty low standard, Bill, on where you're living. What are those areas in your life where it's so low that you could, you know, that you're not expecting anything of yourself as you follow Jesus? Or where have you given up expecting anything more from him? You've just said, I'm never going to change. It's that kind of attitude toward uh, what he's doing in your life. And how can we, as a community of faith, uh, elevate our expectations for ourselves and one another? And I don't know what that is. I'm not going to put that on you. I want us to pray together for what God would do uh, in our lives this week. Please join me in prayer. Uh, Father, we thank you so much for all the ways that you show up uh, as we fail, when we fail, um, that, that you show up... You're there when we're succeeding, but you're there when we're failing. And that your, your gospel is uh, enough for us. 
I thank you for my friends who are gathered here. And I, I know some of them don't believe that you have died for their sins yet, and they're still trying to make atonement for themselves. They're working hard. They're trying to prove their faith. They're trying to hold on to their faith. They don't want to, they're kind of white-knuckling it with you and not believing that the faith that they have, you gave them, that you planted in them. Father God, would you give them salvation and assurance in your promises? For some of our friends here today, uh, they're listening and they're waiting, but they're not hearing from you. And Father God, would you begin to speak to them in their lives? Would you give them eyes to see and ears to hear the things you're doing? Oh, would you thwart the enemy as he says things like, never. God, you know, he would limit us in what we're called to do. That we're hopelessly stuck. That's a lie. The gospel doesn't say that, God. Would we just be a part of your uh, work as you deny that and you show us the path to new life and then father for those who are following but failing would you show us to how to have grace with one another and yet accountability i don't even pretend to know how this works lord but i know you call us to a higher standard and yet you call us to love each other anyway would you show us how to do that work i pray today as we respond honestly to your gospel that you would um, heal us that you would uh, Continue to show us how our sins are forgiven. And that you would show us the right path for our life. And we ask that you would do this work in Jesus' name. Amen.